Mark 15, very end of Mark 15, then Joseph, uh, verse 46, then Joseph bought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where the body was laid and that's where we were. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Verse 2. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. So it was already rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Note that, by the way. And Peter. Now, Peter is the source for Mark. It makes sense that that's kind of highlighted. It also makes sense that Matthew and Luke don't do that, as you will see. They leave that part out. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, that is where the oldest and best copies of Mark end. We already looked at the long ending and the short ending and the reasons why, in terms of textual evidence, they really don't stand up as being part of the autograph of Mark's gospel. However, while some scholars think that that was the end of Mark's gospel as that, they, they said nothing, in, in obvious fact, that isn't the end. And probably wasn't the end even of the way in which it was written originally. There may have been an, an, an ending kind of similar, maybe, to the shorter ending. And all that had been commanded them they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterwards Jesus himself sent out through them from west to east the, sa the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. That's the shorter ending. And then the longer ending essentially does the same thing, but it more extensively with more details. Um, what that long ending contained, we don't know if it contained anything, if there was one. It probably said something along the lines of, while they, uh, uh, and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid, but they overcame their fear and, and told the disciples or something like that. We don't know what the details are after that, but it seems to be missing. And that's it from Mark. Attempts have been made to reconstruct the ending of Mark from Matthew and Luke. Those are, have all failed. Those have all failed. 
I've got a bunch of stuff here after all that. You've got the shorter ending and you've got the longer ending. The pro one of the problems with the longer ending, other than the fact that it's not found in the oldest and best manuscripts, <laughs> is that even the manuscripts that contain it contain tons of variations. And I mean tons of variations. The textual apparatus on these verses are extensive. The short ending is found in only a couple of manuscripts and is um, therefore considered extremely spurious. However, some manuscripts contain both endings, just like my NRSV does here. Oh, you were asking about the shorter ending? I was just saying, I don't have my glasses, so I was just wondering where, what verse was the shorter ending that it ended on? It doesn't actually have a verse, it just follows verse 8. Follows verse 8? Mm -hmm. And it reads, okay. And all that had been commanded them they told briefly to those around Peter. And afterward Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. That's the shorter ending. The longer ending begins at verse 9 in traditional text and runs all the way through verse 20. It contains the traditional text. But even in those manuscripts that contain it, through the 10th century, there's so much variation in the word choice, word order, even story sequence, that the idea that this is original has really, really taken a hit and you really can't support it. And Sinaiticus lacks it, Vaticanus lacks it, Many early manuscripts lack the ending. And they the all few, end around eight. They all, all the earliest ones end at eight. So and even many of those that have the longer ending have a little note there saying, we question the veracity of this, or this was taken from another source, or. What does it say about the short ending? Short ending is, is simply that it is found in a, in a couple of manuscripts, and in one manuscript with the long ending. Kind of like it's printed in my NRSV. I've heard that one read a lot back in the early Methodist Church. Oh yeah, it's part of the RSV. A lot. Okay. Um, well, that's Mark. Mark's the story of the resurrection is brief. It's an empty tomb story, and that's it. And the witness is the same witness that witnessed his death and his burial. Mary Magdalene and the other women. And it varies as to who. Go to Matthew, chapter 28. And it, and it certainly alludes to further appearances. Oh, yeah. That the audience probably knew all about. you got to remember, uh, Mark writing to a Christian Christians, they know about the other appearances. It just, for whatever reason, got lost if there was a story of other appearances. Well, it's possible that they lost a page. It's possible. Because I don't see an illusion. I'm sorry, Peter. Uh, Pete. Pete, I don't oh, see yeah. an illusion. I don't see an illusion. Trembling and yeah, bewildered, sure. the women went out no, and fled. He's going, to going ahead of you Go to Galilee. Galilee. There you will see him, just uh -huh. as he told me. Exactly. Then don't that even the last is, paragraph. That, exactly. And, and then they went to Galilee and saw him, and that's exactly what Matthew does. But there are differences enough to make people say, well, Matthew doesn't contain the law. Look, and, and then an ending from Mark. It's an independent ending. But we'll see that in a moment. But no, that is the foreshadowing of what it may have contained. Okay. And it's, it's kind of hard to understand why Mark wouldn't have put something in there about that, but, but still it's there. It's Scholars sort of who claim that Mark it does an actually the authentic autograph ended at verse 8 when they're addressed with that question uh, really don't have a good answer. 
that question really defeats the claim that verse 8 ends the book. Yeah. There is a story after that. It's lost. Why would you have verse 8 with the illusion right before there what's going to happen? Why would you have 8 like it's sober? And it ends with them being quiet and saying don't nothing even, to anybody. I mean, come on. Don't even conclude it. It doesn't make sense. Unless there's more. You okay. know, their, their testimony isn't necessary to the important right. stuff, which is that Jesus came back, you know, which everybody knew. That's all I'm saying is, is it, it's not like the story really ends here. It's just that the writing ends here. The what we have ends, ends here, for sure. Ends. What we have for sure, what we have ends here. Okay. I mean, why wouldn't Sinaiticus and all those folks have said, you know, gee, something seems to be missing here. You know? I mean, <laughs> no, they, they don't. They thought it ended. They don't, but apparently some people did because the short and long endings were written. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're not the only ones to say this is kind of weird, and especially <laughs> if you know Matthew and Luke and <laughs> yeah. John. Yeah. <laughs> it seems rather strange. Well, there's something kind of weird about this ending. Because at the beginning of chapter 16, it says Mary Magdalene and the mother of Mary yep. to anoint him. And down here in verse 9, it says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, would that have been after she left the tomb? After yep. she fled the tomb? You're picking up on the problem with verses 9 through 20 in that it seems like it, it itself is a self-contained unit and very artificial in that sense. If you read straight through, it doesn't make sense that 9 would pick up there after you've already read 16, 1 and following. It just doesn't make sense. Why would it do it that way? Why doesn't it pick up with um, explaining verse 8 yeah. like, like the shorter ending does and then going on to tell the story of the post-resurrection appearances? It doesn't do that. It doesn't explain verse 8. Last week, did you say that when they went to anoint, they always did it during the night before the sun came up? Did I? Okay. No. They, would, they would do it they would do it as early as they could. As early as they could. Okay. Well, it says they went to the tomb when the sun had risen, and then down here. They had to go to be Sabbath. When he rose early on. So yeah. On the first day of the week, yeah. If they had gone before the well, sun, it would have been in the been evening. Early on the first day of the week to a Jew would have been after sundown the night before. Mm-hmm. So they waited until it was light. So they waited until yeah, it was light. Sense, yeah. So they could see what they were doing. And in fact, according to this, in Mark, when the Sabbath was over, i.e. when the sun set Saturday night, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices. I mean, now that the Passover is over, they can buy something. Maybe they had an all-night Walmart. I don't know. <laughs> and bought spices and so that they might go and anoint him. And then they go to bed. That's what you were Because they don't want to go to... Do you want to go to a graveyard at night? No. <laughs> so well, that would have been the day. That would have been Friday that they done that prior to the Sabbath. No, it says says after. It says after the High Holy Day Sabbath. When the Sabbath was over. Right, the the High Holy Day Sabbath was over. Well, that could theoretically be the case. The only time they could have done it would have been on Friday. Yeah, that's probably, that could very well be right. Wait for the next Sabbath to be over and then they could go back to the church. And very early early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen. So... Okay, let's go to Matthew. Because okay. it wouldn't make sense for them to go 
when the sun had set. If they were going with oh, the to purpose, the tomb, no. Right. So they would have waited. I must have misheard something. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning. And by the way, remember, that's not in Greek, that's plural. After the Sabbaths, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending uh, uh, from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Wow, this diverges suddenly and abruptly and rather violently from Mark. Yeah. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And he's sitting up there on top of the stone. For fear of, the, of him, the guards, remember the guards who had been appointed to guard the tomb? The guards shook and became like dead men. They passed out. But the angel said to the women, and here we get essentially the same speech as the young man inside the tomb. Do not be afraid, for Mark, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. <laughs> then go quickly and tell his disciples. And Peter? No, 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 and Peter. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee, where you will see him. This is my message for you. In my NRSV, here in the middle of verse 7, there's a little M, and that little M says, with regards to, he has been raised from the dead. It says, other ancient authorities lack from the dead. No, it, they don't. This is really frustrating. According to this, it says, that verse is excluded by only two manuscripts, and neither of them the oldest or the best. Whereas all the oldest or the best, P75, Sinaiticus, Alexandrinus, Vaticanus, KL, most of the rest, all included. But they give it a D rating. They say it's been assumed over from another gospel. I'm sorry, text, I'm a textual purist. If the, if the oldest and best have it, the likelihood of it being authentic is great. It's in the oldest and best, unquestionably. Did you write them? No. <laughs> Half of them are dead now. <laughs> <laughs> Metzger's dead. Alonde is dead. So, you know. So they're just talking to Jesus. You told them. <laughs> well, no, because they didn't come back from the dead to write this commentary. Um, but that just that's a little example of the frustrating character of some of the textual critics. Thank God they leave it in. They give it a grade of D, they're wrong, it has a grade of A. Maybe A minus at best, but A at worst, but A is what I would give it, textually speaking. Um, King James Version doesn't have any markings. Oh, no, not there. <laughs> not, not in the general text, it doesn't. They did have a critical edition now at one point. Um, uh, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee there you will see him this is my message for you so the angel was sort of like a messenger service yeah. which is you know that's what an angel is messenger so it makes sense so they left the tomb 
quickly with fear and great joy. Hear that remark. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. So they left the tomb, back to Matthew. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and <laughs> ran to the disciples. So which was it? Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Now, I'm sorry. My mental image of this is them grabbing his feet and holding on to them. Knocking Jesus off of his feet and under his butt or something. <laughs> it's a funny little image. They come running to him. They grab his feet. What they do is they throw themselves down at his feet and hold on to them. Hmm. No. Do not be afraid. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So they've heard the message from the angel. Now they see Jesus. They fall at his feet. And he says, Don't be afraid. Tell them to go meet me in Galilee. How far away is Galilee from here again? A long way. Well, that's kind of three hours by car on that's highway. What I, thought, I thought we were talking about the same place. All the way down three days to basically. the Jordan River Valley, all the way up the Jordan River Valley to to the Sea of Galilee, and then in that area. But if you're going to go to Nazareth to Mount Tabor, all the way up the Jezreel Valley from there to Nazareth. So no, no one ever questioned why you want to take this two or three day trip. Why he chose that place? That's home. That's home. That's where you go. In verse seven, when he Jesus. says he's, he's going, going to Galilee. Right? Mm -hmm. He's not here because he's on his way to Galilee. The angel says he is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He's been raised from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. That's to be told to the disciples. All right. Oh, that's to be told to the disciples. This is what it says here. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, quote, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee where you will see him, unquote. That's the message for the disciples. And I mean, the whole crew was going back to Galilee anyway. Right? Well, I mean, no, they're going to get out of there. I mean, that's where they were from. That's what I would be doing. <laughs> that's where they're from. That's their home. The town, you know? That is their home. They meet in the upper room on their way back, that place that they had such sanctuary in. Oh, they came to Jerusalem for the... Yeah, Passover, and they're going back, Passover but why wouldn't they meet with. somewhere on the way back rather than just run like that, scattered, you know? And then when the, and then they leave and they come in, they 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 come up to Jesus, they they meet Jesus, which is interesting because <laughs> the angels just said he's already gone. <laughs> Jesus is not here. He's going ahead of you. He's going ahead of the disciples. Yeah. Jesus hasn't yet beamed himself to Galilee. He's he's still there mm -hmm. for the women to see. Pretty clear, you know, that these women are, are 
special people. Which, if you think about it, is an amazing thing. In the Jewish culture, at that time, women are dirt, property. They're not a, a, a source for information that you can trust. If you wanted to invent a story to proclaim an empty tomb, you wouldn't invent it with women as the witnesses. Not then and there. Not if you're smart. Not if you're a Jew of the first century or a Jewish Christian of the first century. No, you're going to give that to Peter or to James or to John or all three. Some soldiers. Or find some way to finagle it to, to have them present. And if you were a Messiah, you probably wouldn't want a gaggle of women following you around. Not if they, did. They, they all came from Galilee. Right. Be not them. in the Jewish context. Absolutely not. The women are a problem, a severe problem for those who say that the tomb stories are not historical. They're a severe problem. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Now, Jesus meets the, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. I'm going to Galilee. They will see me there. Verse 11. While they were going, some of the guard, I assume they woke up, went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. Boy. Everything that they, from the time they woke up. Everything that had happened. They wake up. They, they can't tell them everything's happened because they passed out through a lot of them. There was an earthquake. There was an angel. They fall like dead men. They wake up empty tomb. Right. Oh, boy. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Aha! If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. <laughs> we won't let you get executed for falling asleep on the job. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story is still told among the Jews to this day. So here we have the conclusion of what we saw in verses 62 through 66. The soldiers are appointed to defend the tomb against the disciples stealing the body. They get knocked out by the angel. They wake up. They go tell the chief priests, look. The body's gone. It, it's, it's, the tomb is empty. And they say, oh, we're good. Budge. Mm. Look, you must say his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. Make up this story. If, it, if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. So, this story is still told among the Jews, or at the time of Matthew, that was what the Jewish people, leadership people were saying. The disciples stole the body. That's what the guard reported. 
Is Matthew the one that's supposed to make the Jews, look, the high priests, look even worse? Oh, yeah. He's doing a good he had an antipathy here. towards them. Got to remember, he was writing at a time and in a place okay. where Jewish Christians had been tossed out of the synagogue. They were no longer part allowed to identify themselves as being yeah, Jews, and they were not happy about that. And so that kind of colored their their depiction of the Jewish leadership. But they were coming up against this kind of accusation, too. Oh, you can't believe the story about the resurrection. The disciples stole the body. We had guards there, and that's what they told us. Huh. That's interesting. Verse 16, chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples, it's consistent. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Kind of wonder who that might have been. <laughs> and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has given has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. That's Matthew's version of the resurrection and post-resurrection visions, accounts, experiences, encounters. The women, uh, the women come, empty tomb. They encounter Jesus there. He tells them to go. Re he reiterates the message that the he had left with the angel, which is, go tell the disciples to go to Galilee. The soldiers go and tell, hey, the tomb's empty. Right, here, lie about it. Say the disciples stole the body. Here, we'll pay you for it. We'll keep you out of trouble with the governor if he finds out. And that's the story they've been telling to this day. And then the 11 disciples go to Galilee and they encounter Jesus there. And that's it from Matthew's Gospel. Interesting, a uh, couple interesting notes. Um, the addition of the earthquake. The angel comes down and opens the tomb. We actually get to see that and sits on the rock instead of in the tomb in Mark's. In Mark's, it's already rolled away. There's no earthquake. Hmm. Hmm. And the speech that is given to the young man inside the tomb in Mark is given to the angel sitting up on top of the rock in Matthew with some addition. But it's essentially the same. The women go, the women go and tell without question. Women get to have an individual personal experience of the resurrection too, not just an empty tomb. Look at Matthew. I mean, look, look at Luke. So Luke 24. Very last, well, yeah, very last chapter of Luke. Luke 24. And Luke is the longest of the synoptics on the subject of the resurrection. There's more appearances. And there are some interesting, as we will see next year, there are some interesting parallels with John which has occasioned some scholars to say, well, Luke's been monkeyed around with. But the language in Luke is very Johannine. I mean, excuse me, the language in Luke is not Johannine. It's very Lucan. It doesn't seem as though he's borrowed this from John. It doesn't seem as though it's, it's been adjusted and inserted by a later scribe or editor. And likewise, 
John's version, while the account is very much the same in some places, or similar in some places, John's version doesn't contain Lucan language. It's very Johannite. So they seem to be independent stories saying the exact same thing in different ways, which we'll, we will note when we get around to reading John. Sometime a year from now. <laughs> okay. you, you can't tell us anything how that's related to Paul. Are they both related to Paul? John and Luke? Yeah. Well, Luke definitely is. Yeah, so I'm thinking and, maybe John might be. Johannine theology follows a lot of Pauline theological emphases. Is it Paul his story? There's two men in death. Yes. On the, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. At early dawn. At early dawn is that period between darkness and when the sun actually comes up. That light period. Twilight. Before the sun actually comes up. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, when they had come to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. No earthquake. No angel coming down and sitting on it. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified. Now, I would imagine so. I mean, if I'm standing in the tomb and suddenly two guys materialize out of thin air in dazzling clothes, I'm going to be frightened too. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men, in Greek it simply says they, they said to them, why do you look for living, the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. <laughs> he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. It's all right there. Huh. No, Jesus. Not only that, but no direction to go to Galilee. In, in Mark and in Matthew, the angel or an, yeah, the angel says, go to Galilee. That's where Jesus is going to meet you. And here he says, remember what they said. he said to you in Galilee. Remember what he said to you in Galilee. That, that, that the Messiah is going to have to die. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, now, here Luke finally identifies who this is. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the disciples. And here you get the response that you would expect. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe him. 
but Peter, got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Which is different than the NIV that says wondering what it happened. That's pretty bad. Wondering as opposed yeah, to amazed. Like that. yeah. That's a lot stronger, amazed at what it happened versus wondering. Huh. Too bad we don't read John's version of this too. Next year. <laughs> I will give you a little hint. John's gospel has Peter and the beloved disciple racing to get to the tomb. Of course. That's interesting. That's interesting. Doesn't that show less belief in a way? At least to us. What, racing? Going to the tomb at all. Didn't you believe what they just said? No, we didn't. Well, that, well it does say that they doubted it, but sure. Peter decides to go and take a look for himself, and he finds the tomb empty. I'd be going and checking it out. Oh, me too. Well, yeah, and you wouldn't be wondering what had happened either. And you find it empty and you walk away going, wow, amazed. But 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 well, yes, it it seems as though that Peter's being prepared for what we're going to find out happens later. We don't actually get to see it in Luke, which is interesting. That's very fascinating, by the way. The first post-resurrection appearance of Jesus in Luke doesn't happen to any of the eleven. It doesn't happen to Mary Magdalene. She sees an empty tomb. She chats with two angels. And that's it. Huh? Well, that's over in John. <laughs> that's in John. Now, on that, the first post-resurrection appearance comes next. Verse 13. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. Luke conveniently leaves out Pilate here. <laughs> Remember, Pilate gets the really good uh, laundering in the story. But he had hoped that he was the one, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those, notice the, 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 
the, the number here. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Well, the earlier story just says it was Peter. There may have been others. Others. Yes? Was this the first time that uh, the women saw the nail scars in his hand, or was that Peter? Uh, that's later. That's coming next. That's, that's coming next. As of this point in Luke, the women haven't seen anything of Jesus personally. Um, in Matthew, they fell at his feet and worshipped him. They literally take hold of his feet and worship him. That's in Matthew. In Mark, they don't see Jesus either. Um, verse 25. Then oh, It actually says, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus then is given the job of interpreting, applying the Old Testament passages to explain why this happened, why the Messiah died, which you've got to remember was not part of the Jewish expectation. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead of them as if he was going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So they went in to stay with him. So he went in to stay with them. Gosh, I got that backwards. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, they, the eleven and the companions, were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Oh, wait a minute. Who's, who's the, who are the they? Exactly. Third, verse 34. Where did, where did Simon get his appearance? It's not mentioned. Simon's appearance, as I said earlier, is not recounted in, in Luke. It's not list, contained in Luke. It occurs apparently either after Jesus disappears from his time with Cleopas and the other disciple in Emmaus and before the two disciples can get back to Jerusalem. That's probably when it occurs. Because otherwise they've been on the road chatting and then he's with them at the table. The, the second, 
second person on the road is never identified. Never identified. There is a tradition in the church that it is Cleopas's wife, Mary. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. It was mentioned elsewhere in scripture. Yes? Uh, I thought there was a Simon and a Simon Peter. Uh, Simon is Peter's actual name. Oh, Peter okay. is his one nickname. The, one in the same. That's there's Simon. That's him. That's that's his name. How do we know this is? Huh? For, how do we know this is referring to the Simon? We don't really know who's talking right there, do we? Well, let's, let, that was the initial question that stopped us. Verse thirty-four. They were saying that they were saying is not the Cleopas and the other disciple because. They've just arrived in the midst of this conversation, this, this, this declaration, this proclamation. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. That's what's being said when they get there. They come into the room where the disciples are, the eleven and their companions, and it's being said when they get there, oh, Jesus has raised and he has appeared to Simon. There's some way to verify that reading of it because it, it certainly could to me could be saying they found the 11 and as they walked in the room they were saying the Lord has risen indeed and he has Greek can be ambiguous on the question but the quest, but uh, they were saying um, indicates that this is the action that is going on when the preceding sentence occurs yeah, so that, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together they were saying the they is the companions the eleven and the companions yeah, and then the next verse says then the two why would it even bother saying then they the told well, all, what all had all happened all the they's could be referring to the same two people in which case no, it makes no sense. How would, how, would, how, would, how would Cleopas and the other disciple know that uh, si Jesus had appeared to Simon? The, uh, Why couldn't Simon the, the other person, person with Cleopas? Simon. It would have been listed. He would have, huh? been, he would have been identified. Why? He would have been identified. <laughs> why? He's Peter. But why You've got to find Simon, a way. Look. Why is that Simon Peter, though? I'm just saying, why couldn't that have been this Cleopas and Simon, two other? Some other Simon? Yeah. What other Simon? The one that carried There's the cross. Be somebody else on the name Simon. Simon of what? The first, the affirmation here is, well, first of all, he doesn't say if it was the, if it was them, it would be since Cleopas has already been identified, it would be it's appeared to Cleopas. Well, I understand your question, but I I I, I don't think that that it's. I'll, I'll give you that. That, that, that makes some sense. But on the other I mean, the story has just identified Cleopas really as the sense. principal person, Cleopas and the other disciple. It doesn't say who the other disciple is. When they go back, it's not going to be, they're going to come in there and they're going to say, he appeared to the other disciple who we didn't name before, but now we're going to name him yeah. Simon? Uh-uh, don't work. But on the other hand, it doesn't make much sense why Luke wouldn't bother to tell the story of Jesus' appearance to Simon because... Certainly Competing <laughs> interests may be involved yeah. here. Where did he uh, appear to sign at Peter? He doesn't in any of the accounts. He doesn't. That's the point. I'm going to read this in Greek and, and see if the and pronoun usage is. Uh, you know, in this um, discussion, 
I wanted to point out that in verse 33, and found the 11, plural, number, and, and gathered with them, and then there were also the, their attendants, which is also plural, saying, uh, um, and, and so they were saying together, and so it, that verb is attached to who was in the room, not who entered the room in verse 34. Which was also plural, and that's why we're having a problem. Of course, you got a they in the in in, in Cleopas and the other disciple, and you have the they in the eleven and yes. the in the companions. So what you have to do is you have to take the closest verb saying with the closest plural, which would be the eleven and their attendants. Those are, you would never separate the verb and the the subject and the verb. Um, How does the NIV out? read? Uh, you, have the NIV? Uh -huh. you want 33? I want you to read. I have King James. I want the NIV first, and then, but see, the NRSV is going to render the King James very similarly. Read the NIV first. Uh, 33? Yes, please. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. <coughs> there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. Wait, wait, wait. Assembled together and saying? Mm -hmm. You read the King James at verse 33 and 34. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. 34. Saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. All right. It, it, okay. Um, and rising up in the same, in the hour, in that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem and found, having been collected, the eleven and the ones with them who were saying, really was raised the Lord and appeared to Simon. That's a little clearer. That's a lot clearer. <laughs> the, la the pronoun usages are being applied, supplied in the English. It's not there in the Greek. And it really does say, and appeared to Simon, not as reported by Simon. It no. Then Simon returning from the and empty tomb. No. Saying, really, uh, it truly, was raised the Lord. The Lord was truly raised and appeared, ophthe, and appeared, uh, simoni, appeared to Simon. What's the next sentence side? And there's a period after that in the Greek here. Got to remember, that's supplied an editor but it's probably correct given the sentence structure in other words the sentence structure at the at the between 33 and 34 is one sentence not two separate sentences the translators heard it here verse 35 and they related the things in the way and how he was made known in the breaking of the bread so the second, the they in 35 is definitely Cleopas and the other disciple. Without question. You're saying his wife was a disciple now? No, well, I don't know about that. That's just a tradition. Okay. But well, and they then, don't and then name I've, I've heard this disciple. before, and one reason the person is not named is because it was a woman. That, is, that makes sense. That, that would follow. If you Although, named Cleopas, you named Simon. Yeah. Well, Why Simon name that third person? Probably would have been. Well, Simon wasn't there on the road. No, but you named him within three, you know, within that right. sentence structure. You named the men. 
You name two guys, why don't you name the other? And Luke, earlier on, when, when, when Cleopas is telling the story to Jesus, he says, some of the women in our group. But then he doesn't bother to say, and Peter went and looked. <laughs> Cleopas doesn't say that. He just says, and some of us went and checked and found it empty as the women had said. Well, and any time a woman's name is used, she's related to whoever the male is. Or wherever she's from, as yeah. Mary of Magdala. Right. Now, so rereading this, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together and saying, probably a better rendering of the Greek. Yeah. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road. They is Cleopas and the other disciple. Told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I'm sorry NRSV translated, but you really just mucked that one up big time. While they were talking about this, so in the midst of this conversation in verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them. They were startled and terrified. I would be too if Jesus suddenly materializes in the room. There's a lot of that going on in Luke. It happens with the two angels in the tomb and now it happens here. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Now that is very reminiscent of what we'll read in John. Very reminiscent of what we'll read in John. But the word selection and word order is very different than what you got in John, which is why most scholars say that it's not dependent. And when he had said this, verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Some ancient authorities lack that. Most copies have it. Most copies have it. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. In that interesting sentence, yeah, verse 41. While in their joy. How's, how's the NAV read there? You have that, uh, Rich. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. Okay, while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. Right. That's an interesting sentence. While they, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. So they got this jumbled up collection of emotions going on inside of them. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's going to do here exactly what he did with Cleopas and the other disciple on the road to Emmaus. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
you might want to note that little phrase, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending you, uh, sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. So very different from Matthew, where they go to Galilee and up on the mountain and Jesus tells them to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doesn't ascend in that particular account. But in Luke, he does. And it's not in Galilee, it's in Jerusalem. Yeah. And you've got this appearance to the disciples after the appearance on the road to Emmaus. And you've got Jesus saying, I'm not a ghost, look at me. And then he eats to prove it. Since the food didn't fall down onto the chair, it's obvious he's real. <laughs> he's eating. He's not a hologram or something. He's not a ghost. He's physical. But he's really there. And then he explains to them the theology of what they, how they should understand him. Huh. And, and at the time this is written, Jerusalem and the temple are the temple is gone. Jerusalem has been destroyed. It's under Roman occupation. The Jews have been scattered abroad. This is being written to Gentile Christians in Greece and Asia Minor, in the Aegean Basin. Um, it's, it's, and yet, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you discover there's a program that the gospel seems to go out in successive waves of of proclamation from Jerusalem out and then back. The Jerusalem church is important in Acts. Uh -huh. And Acts is written by the author of Luke. And one argument is made that the author of Luke wants to, Dr. Luke, wants to keep the events in Jerusalem instead of going to Galilee. Yeah, and you just answered something for me. I was getting confused. Why do we have this important thing happening on the road to Emmaus. That's just outside of the city of Jerusalem. Seven miles? Yeah. Seven miles. Yeah, well, why Why were they going uh, to Emmaus? What the heck is that? That's the opposite direction. That's, that's a... Uh, They're going that's to Galilee? A, is that that's a Galilee? suburb. That's a suburb just outside of, of, of Jerusalem. So why would he appear to them out there, seven miles away? Well, they're, just, they're on the road going to it. Because they're going home, I, I would I, imagine. I love your question because... What does Jesus tell them? Go out into the world and, and preach the good news. Mm -hmm. And he does it first. He's sort of modeling yeah. for them what they are to do. Oh, yeah. And so if it's already happened, and he comes back and tells them what to do, and these two people also come back, like you were saying, everything's coming Why back to Jerusalem. Back? This is the first little trip out. 
that we then see repeatedly in the Acts of the Apostles, where Jerusalem becomes sort of the place from which the message is sent. Versus Galilee and the other two. Galilee is headquarters in, in Matthew and Mark. That's interesting. It's not denied that Galilee is important in Luke, but the headquarters for the church in Acts of the Apostles is Jerusalem to begin with. And there's, there is no directive in Luke to go to Galilee. Oh, not one. Just remember what was taught you in Galilee, that he would have to die and be raised. And the ministry takes place, for the most part, in Galilee until he comes south. Yeah. But Jerusalem is critically important. Yeah. And, it, and you see that in the Acts of the Apostles. And you also see it as being important with some conflict in Paul's letters, which come before all of this, which indicate very clearly that the Jerusalem church at least viewed itself as being the mother church, the, the place from which it begins. And that seems very likely, based on what we know from what Paul wrote, who was combating that attitude. In Acts, we see it communicated clearly. You even see that. You even see some of the conflict going on in Acts too. By the way, somewhat toned down a little bit from Galatians, but still, it's there. <laughs> Are there any questions? Yes, ma'am. All this that you're talking about here uh, in the end of Luke is that already after Simon Peter has denied him three times? Yes, that all happened prior to the crucifixion. Uh, the denial occurs in the courtyard while either Jesus is in trial or while they're waiting for the trial, depending on which gospel you read. It's during the trial in Matthew and Mark. It's while they're waiting for the trial in Luke. One more question. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. uh, uh, are apostles and disciples the same thing? Uh, uh, yes and no. The oh, the man. the. The apostles, 11 of the first apostles were also the 11 of the disciples. Judas, of course, is not an apostle, but he was a disciple. And they chose a replacement for Judas to go into the 12 named Matthias. They did that in Acts. And he becomes an apostle, but then you don't hear anything else about him. Paul, who was never a disciple of Jesus, proclaims himself an apostle. And many people believe is really the replacement for Judas. <laughs> there was a controversy going on there. Whether or not Paul could be classed as an apostle. He definitely was and he yeah. was, there didn't seem to be any argument. By the time Luke wrote Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles and half of it is about Paul. <laughs> so obvious and he is identified as an apostle in the Acts of the Apostles. So there's no question there. So yes and no. Most of the early apostles, with the exception of Paul, had been disciples. Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple, but not one of the... Elite. Right. There were lots of disciples who were not part of the inner circle. There's the inner circle of the twelve, and then an outer circle, which is their companions, which we've read about here in Luke, which include the women and people like Cleopas and several others who were not part of the inner twelve, but they were nevertheless people who traveled with them and provided for them and 
were there. So the women were disciples too? The women were part of the companion circle outside the Twelve, but they were still close. But you just said it. They were, dis- the they, were, they were disciples. They were disciples, yes, although they are not the Twelve. So they're never identified as disciples? That's what I'm wondering about. Yes. Yeah. Huh? What? 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 Some of the women do Oh, yeah. Identify they're identified as disciples yeah. of the Lord, yes. But there's a difference between the twelve and then right. the companions, yeah, who are also disciples. Oh, and then there were disciples even outside of that group, many of whom fell, fled. What's the definition of a disciple versus an apostle? Just the meaning of the word. Mathetes, and it means uh, someone who is a follower. Disciple. The women. Mm-hmm. And what about apostle? Apostle means sent one, yeah. one who is sent out to proclaim. It might be clarified to compare uh, Luke 12 to the, I mean, yeah, Luke 12 to 635. Because, you um, know, because it's an inner circle and then it's an outer circle. Yeah, you've got the inner circle of the disciples, and then you've got the outer circle of other disciples. Some of whom are named, like Mary, the several Marys. There's more in the outer circle than there is on the inner circle. Of course. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Mary, the mother of Jesus, would be in, the in one of the compa- in the companion circle, outside of the inner circle. James, the brother of the Lord, wasn't in any circle <laughs> until after Jesus died. He wasn't a follower of Jesus in Jesus' life. James, the brother of the Lord, started following after the resurrection. That's fascinating. And yet he gained such power and authority that he was essentially the bishop of the church of Jerusalem. And, and he, was, he was one of the ones that he has to be fishers and fishermen of men? Well, James the brother of the Lord? No. That's, no you're thinking no, of James, I, son of, the James, oh, son of Zebedee. James. The other James. There are, there are three Jameses you get confused. <laughs> but um, no, they have several circles. An apostle is a, it literally means sent one. And a disciple means follower. Before you can be an apostle, this is one way to look at it. Before you can be an apostle, you must be a disciple. All apostles would therefore be disciples, followers of Jesus. But then some of them are apostles, sent ones. Ones sent out to proclaim the gospel. So Paul was a disciple, outer circle disciple. Nope. Paul, Paul was oh, never a follower of Jesus during yeah. Jesus' life. Well, he only became a follower of Jesus after the appearance on the road to Damascus. That's almost, he almost got sent. I mean, that's the he same like time. Sent by, sent yeah, he by was God chosen himself. and sent. Yeah. Yeah. He, was, he was called to follow Jesus by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus and then sent by Jesus pretty much in the same event yeah. to so proclaim the gospel. But he had to argue with the other apostles are with the church about whether he really yeah because they didn't trust him I mean here he had been a persecutor of the church he held the coats of those who who had stoned Stephen you couldn't trust the man in fact that that followed Paul until the day he died he couldn't get rid of it the people were the apostles in Jerusalem were constantly saying you can't trust Paul because Paul once persecuted the church Therefore, don't listen to what he said. Listen to what we say. And you Gentiles should get circumcised and stop eating, start eating kosher. <laughs> it's almost like Apostle was, had a capital A on it. It was an organizational title. The church sent you. It wasn't necessarily. 
Israel. Well, that's how, that, that's how the Jerusalem church recognized it or thought of it. And they wanted to claim that they had sent him, Paul. But Paul said, no, my apostleship doesn't come from you in Jerusalem. It comes from Jesus himself. And James, actually, he, did he, is he an apostle? Did he ever call himself an apostle? I mean, the only thing we see is that he was a servant. No, he's a, in his letter, letter, he calls himself as a servant. But, I mean, was he ever? He's identified as a pillar of the church, the head of the church in Jerusalem. Church tradition identifies him, post-biblical church tradition, calls him the bishop of Jerusalem, which is what he was when he was killed. And that the church that was in Jerusalem was at the synagogue or the, the temple? That was the there. Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem, which was tenuously still part of the synagogue, but was worshiping in homes and was going to the temple on a regular basis and was so faithful to the Jewish faith itself, James himself was, that when it came right down to it during the Jewish civil war against Rome, the Jewish leadership thought that James would deny his brother, Jesus, and support the, the Jerusalem leadership in their insurrection against Rome. And they said, deny Jesus and come back into the fold. You're a good Jew. You might as well do it. And to his credit, he said no. Why would they have approached him that way? Because Christianity was known to have uh, be something of a suspect sect of, Jew of Judaism. It was viewed as uh, consorting with the Romans and the Gentiles because of their connections with non-Jewish churches, non-Jewish communities of the Christian faith. And therefore it was viewed as suspect or you couldn't really trust them. The Jerusalem church was the head of a sect of Judaism that include a whole lot of non-Jews. The non-Jews are the folks that are surrounding Jerusalem and trying to destroy the city. But those people who approached James, the people who chose James would have, have been, been in the same city and known him. They were the the according to Eusebius, who tells the story, was that they were the chief priests and the elders, yeah. the head of the the, the, the synagogue leadership, so and, and not the synagogue, the, the temple leadership. So they would have known him. They knew him. So they they knew him to be a faithful Jew in the temple every day on his knees so often that he had camel's knees. So, and, he, and he didn't follow Jesus when Jesus was alive. Didn't follow Jesus in Jesus' life, but converted afterwards when Jesus appears to him. But his Doesn't message of conversion then must not have been a strong message if they approached him to deny Jesus. They thought he was such a good Jew that when it came down to it, he would dump his messianic proclamation of his brother and stick with the Jewish leadership. And then they could trust him again if he would do that. And he didn't do it. He said no. So they cast him off the pinnacle of the temple. He didn't die where he hid. And so they stoned him to death. Hmm. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? I'd like to just pull a little curve here. Um, with all of these letters, um, the accounts, there is one letter that could have possibly be written because you would go to a scribe and have your account written. And I was wondering, there's been some evidence said that Mary Magdalene had her account written. Is that true? Can we find any evidence of this? Well, or is this coming from the Gnostics? That's coming from the Gnostics. And they, and they wrote it with their bent? Mm -hmm. And what about the Gospel of Nicodemus? Would that be? That's another example of a... A non 
non-canonical, of course, uh, minority viewpoint amongst the Christian communities of the second century. Uh, second and third centuries when many of these other God, like the Gospel of Judas and the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Thomas, although Thomas has echoes that are even older, as we discovered. In fact, all of those didn't really get up in circulation until the second and third century at the earliest. And uh, those Gospels contain stories. Some of them are very interesting stories, but uh, for the most part, they don't contain nearly as much familiarity with this earlier type material. Um, Mary Magdalene is impressive in that she's not only the principal witness of the death, and re death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in Mark, Matthew, and Luke, she's also the principal witness in John, the, in the only consistent witness between all four. That's just amazing. That she, of all people, <laughs> which is would, that witness. Which would, lead, which would lend more credibility to her account. But my concern isn't the report of, of what it is, it, what the story or the letter of Mary Magdalene. My concern is does the account support the message of the good news oh, yeah. and, and portraying Jesus as the sacrificial lamb? Her account supports the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. Foremost, first and foremost. It, with the consistent witness of an empty tomb. And with a witness in Matthew and in John of actually encountering Jesus. All right? In the resurrection, post-resurrection appearance. Um, her presence at the crucifixion also sub gives support to, I mean, well, what's the source of the information here? It's probably Mary Magdalene, which is another one of those impressive points. It, I mean, Mark, Matthew, and Luke are all fairly clear that this was being observed from afar off by the women, including Mary Magdalene. John says that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and John, the beloved disciple, were there too. But um, the consistent witness amongst all four is that Mary Magdalene was there. And that's a very powerful, and, and, and even with the differences between the three that we've read and the fourth that we didn't read, even with those differences considered, the fact that it's the same witness and the questionable veracity of that witness in that cultural setting really lends very strong historical support to, to the basis of, basics of what she said. Was she, would we have considered her to have dementia before Jesus cured? Well, what, the, the claim was that she had uh, demons. She's over, she's that would lend even less credence normally. It's inappropriate. In fact, it's, it's incorrect to say that she was a prostitute. That's an incorrect connection yeah. made by Pope Gregory the Great. And it took the church a very long time to, to live that one down. She was just crazy. She was just, she was just possessed by demons and then delivered by Jesus. Um, if, she okay, had that, if she had written that gospel, though, um, why, why wouldn't it have been circulated? Canonized? Yeah. 
probably because the details within it are rather outlandish at places. I mean, she's Jesus' wife. And again, going so back to indications the they had sex. Right, I mean, so, so then does that give credence that it was fabricated by somebody else? Well, the actual reason why we know that it it's from a later period is that it's not written in Greek. It was originally drafted in Coptic. And that is the biggest indicator. Uh, it was it comes from the second century at the very earliest. And what about the other gospels like the Gospel of Nicodemus or the Gospel of Jesus? What discredited those from being included in the Some of them are discredited by the way in which Jesus is depicted. Like for example, Judas is 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 discreditable because it depicts Jesus as having to convince Judas that he needs to betray him. And it has other Gnostic characteristics to it too, like uh, Jesus giving him special knowledge independent of all the other disciples that was part of this convincing pattern. Who claimed to have written that? Judas. <laughs> there you go. That's the other reason. That's another reason. Um, so but the earliest, but, but but the earliest editions of Thomas were written in Greek. They contain many of some of the we we saw it. Many of the stories that we saw in Matthew and in Luke. We also saw versions of them in Thomas. It's apparently from the period immediately after the Gospels were written, or even during when the Gospels were written. When it was first discovered in Greek, some scholars said, aha, we found Q, because it's Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus well, said. Well, what discredited Thomas from the Gospel of Thomas from being canonized? Because it was the favorite Gospel of the, of the Gnostics who added stuff in, like for Mary to get into heaven, she has to be made into a man. Right. Yeah, that's not right. <laughs> well, That's right. Would there not have been... Something uh, obvious because of the time period that would have lapsed between the original that would have been uh -huh. written and when. So couldn't they have said, "Hey, it's clear that but this." what is they had, what for example, what Eusebius had in front of him in the Gospel of Thomas contained all this Gnostic stuff, which was unacceptable to the church at that time, to to the church that he headed up and actually won the debate, what we call the Orthodox Church today. Um, the Catholic Church, of uh, the, the the content of Thomas by that time was filled with all this Gnostic stuff. So it was it was excluded specifically because of that. Possibly was the first edition of Thomas from Thomas the Apostle? Yeah, it could have been. It's early enough that it might be datable to them. It has both many of the same stories that Jesus is depicted as speaking in Matthew and Luke but with a slightly different spin or twist that you might expect from somebody hearing it. And, and word choice, by the way, is different in many places in the Greek. So, so you might make an argument that, yeah, it is an independent writing down of Thomas. But, but, but the reason why the church didn't accept it was by the time it actually shows its head in wide circulation, it's been affected by Gnostic editions and all sorts of stuff. Now the, and when the church rejected these things, it was mostly based on content, not, not the kind of text, textual criticism. No, that you it was almost entirely content, the theological messages that, it pro, that the text proclaimed, plus you got to remember that the earliest decisions on canonization were made based upon who wrote it and who supported it. Those are two important questions. 
Could an apostle be identified as being the author? It was question number one. Question number two was, what region of the church supported it? Rome supported Mark. Greece supported Luke. Uh, Damascus and, and northern Judea, where the Jews, Christians lived, supported Matthew. And John was supported by Egypt and by Asia Minor. And so those various regions of the church. Yes, ma'am. Uh, it's something you were talking about a long time ago, and I know we're running over, but so I'll okay. try to make it fast. Uh, you were talking about that woman, that, uh, that whether or not she was a prostitute or not. Mary Magdalene. Magdalene. Would, Mary Magdalene. Would that have been, would that have been who you, maybe that you were thinking of as the woman at the well, or? Uh, the woman caught in adultery. The woman at the well of the Samaritan. Yes. That's that's the story about the adulterer. And Pope Gregory the Great made the mistake of hooking together the story of the woman caught in adultery with Mary Magdalene. And when he did that, that stuck for almost almost a thousand years. I, I guess my concern with these other gospels that uh -huh. people are starting to is the message, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the message, even though it's told from different perspectives, unites as one, and it is the word, it is the word, and, and Jesus is the word. Uh -huh. When you read uh, the Gospel according to Mary Magdalene, the focus is on the world, not the word. It's the focus on the world, and the focus is usually on the person the gospel is named after. And that's an indicator too. I guess we're being signaled. <laughs> okay. Very nice. So was that it? We're done. We are finished. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.